you may not, we haven't been followed, following this much because there are midterms going on in the U.S. There's lots going on in the, in the news here and so on. But Israel is heading into yet another election next week. Benjamin Netanyahu, the former prime minister, appears to be in the lead, but we don't know what's going to happen. They really haven't had a stable government in a long time. Um, meantime, the country's president is in Washington for a two-day visit this week. Today, Isaac Herzog, the president, was actually invited to address a joint meeting of Congress because Israel is preparing to celebrate its 75th anniversary uh, of its founding next spring. Uh, by the way, the UN on November 29th will celebrate 75 years since recognizing the partition that created Israel. And of course, the diplomat and future Canadian Prime Minister Lester Pearson played a huge role in that. But there are lots of things going on geopolitically in the background, as always, when it comes to the Middle East, not to mention what's going on in Ukraine. Um, there's been a lot of pressure of late on Israel, including from the Ukrainian president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, to do more to help his country as it suffers through those continued Russian missile and specifically those drone attacks on infrastructure and on civilians. Israel sent humanitarian aid to Ukraine. It sent some other stuff. But it has not sent what Ukraine wants the most, and that's something akin to its Iron Dome system. You know, that system that essentially protects Israel from rockets that are fired from close by uh, into Israel. Uh, but it's been a balancing act. Israel has a lot of different geopolitical considerations on the go here, not least of which it has does have relations with Russia. There are a lot of uh, Jewish citizens in Russia itself, and uh, Russia has a fairly significant military presence in neighboring Syria which Israel also has to take into consideration. But really, there have been some inside the country now who are saying that it's time for Israel to stop and to support Ukraine more fully here. Um, who better to talk about this than someone who's answered questions about Israel foreign relations for a very long time, or at least he did. Mark Regev is a former senior advisor and spokesperson for the Prime Minister of Israel and he was also Israel's ambassador to the UK from 2016 to 2020. He's now chair of the Abba Ivan Institute for International Democracy at Reichman University in Israel. Uh, Mark Regev, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. So uh, I was noticing that this year marks 75 years since the UN voted for the partition plan uh, that created the state of Israel and, and Canada's involvement in that. And I was wondering 75 years later what your take is on the state of our current relationship between our two countries? I think Israel and Canada are friends, we're allies, we're both democratic countries, uh, we're both Western countries. Uh, Israel is increasingly closer to NATO over previous the last few years. I've not served at our embassy in Ottawa, so I'm not an expert on Israeli-Canadian relations, but I know it's a healthy relationship and a positive relationship. Do you look at the at what's going on in the world right now, and clearly Ukraine is one of the big ones. Um, there has been criticism of Israel for the way it is or is not supporting Ukraine. What do you think a Canadian audience should know about the calculations going on inside Israel about how far one can support the Ukrainians in this war against Russia? So the Ukrainians, and we have to understand, and we have to feel for them, and we have to support them, but they've been critical of Israel for not uh, doing everything that they wanted. But to be fair, they've also been critical of many other countries, uh, including the United States. They've been attacked, brutally attacked by the Russians, and they wanted a national support. And for all sorts of reasons, different countries have chosen to focus on different issues. 
supporting Ukraine, yes, but not opening the taps and giving them everything that they're asking for. What we've done in Israel is uh, we've given humanitarian support, we've accepted refugees, we've uh, accepted wounded Ukrainian military personnel who've come to Israel for operations and so forth, medical treatment. We have sent a field hospital to uh, Ukraine. I think we were the first to do so, which gave medical support to the Ukraine people at the UN and in all international institutions. We voted to condemn the attack. The criticism of Israel is that we haven't actually given them offensive military capability. They've also asked for a system which can shoot down incoming rockets. On that one, we, we don't have enough of our own rockets. On the larger issue, I think Israel was walking a very fine line here where we wanted to support Ukraine, which is very important for us. But to be frank, we didn't want to do anything that could endanger the Jewish community in Russia. And uh, that's very important. Israel uh, has a responsibility to Jewish communities everywhere. In Russia, there's a sizable Jewish community. Russia, as you know, has anyone who knows Russian history knows that there's unfortunately a history of anti-Semitism that goes back to the pre-Bolshevik times. It goes back to the Tsarist times. We wouldn't want to do something that could endanger the community there. And to be frank, we've also got Russian soldiers right on our border. They're very active in Syria. And so we thought the best way for us to, to, to navigate the situation was to give strong diplomatic support, strong humanitarian support. But we have so far made a decision not to give the Ukrainians offensive military capabilities from Israel. Has the involvement of Iran, or at least the alleged involvement of Iran in this war now with their drones, has that changed the calculations at all for Israel? We're now talking to the Ukrainians about sharing with them. It's not an offensive system, but an a system that that helped them locate the incoming missiles, the incoming drones, the incoming rockets, and so forth. We've developed in Israel technologies that in the past, when Iranian-type rockets were fired by Hezbollah or Hamas into Israeli cities, you had to sign a sar uh, set off a siren, and the entire city would go into uh, into bomb shelters. And we've developed technologies that allow you to be more specific. In other words, if you're talking about a big city like Tel Aviv or like Kiev. So you've got a, more than a million people living there, and everyone has to run to the bomb shelter. That's mass confusion and panic and so forth. So we've developed a system so you can be more precise about who needs to go to the bomb shelter by tracking the incoming missile and knowing where it's going to hit. And we're, we've been talking to the Ukrainians about sharing that sort of technology with them. Once again, we're not talking about an offensive military technology. We're talking about something that is defensive and can save lives. There has been some dissent of late within Israel. I was noticing um, that the former Jewish agency chairman, Natan Sharansky, was 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 essentially saying that it's time to step up for Ukraine now. Uh, is this going to be, do you see Israel shifting its position on this at all as the war continues? Our, our, our policy people are always analyzing what's going on. I mean, we've got elections in Israel next week, and uh, all these issues are debated vociferously in, in, in Israeli public debate. And there are people like Sharansky who thinks we, we should go further. And there are other people who are more cautious. And, and that debate is playing out in Israel. And our position has moved on, right? Uh, we started off only humanitarian, and now we are sharing with them defensive uh, capabilities. Uh, but so far, we have said no to offensive military capability. 
When you look at um, at the election, because you just mentioned it, I know that it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit because of, of the midterms in the U.S. There's so much going on around the world. Uh, but this is another big election for Israel. And uh, for those who may have lost sight of exactly what's going on, Benjamin Netanyahu appears to be in the lead, a man that you know well. Uh, but what's at stake this time around uh, in this vote for Israel coming up very soon? To be fair, Ben, I think you'd be correct in saying that this election has been forgotten overseas because we've had quite a few in Israel. Yes, Indeed. Indeed. I think in the last four years, we've had four elections and this is going to be our fifth. And it's it's too much. We've had a certain amount of political instability. You know, uh, when I was an Israeli diplomat, we used to say very truthfully and proudly that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. And as I said, that's that's true. From Morocco on the Atlantic shore through to uh, Iran and Afghanistan, there, there are no democracies except for Israel. But maybe four elections in four years is a little too much, yes? And maybe we have to talk about reforms in our system or so forth. But but, but the Israelis also, are, I think, are fed up with all this. We're, uh, hope, we'll see if this election produces a stable government. We have proportional representation in Israel, uh, which creates a multi-party system and the need to form coalitions. All Israeli governments have always been coalition governments. And the last few elections have been so close and the parties have not been able to work uh, together. People used to joke about Italy being uh, unstable politically and that Italian governments have a particularly short lifespan. So today I'm not proud to tell you that Israel seems to be competing with Italy over uh, instability in the democratic world. Mark Regev is with us. He's a former senior advisor to the Prime Minister of Israel and Israel's former ambassador to the United Kingdom. Uh, Mark, when you look out, I mean, we've seen what appears to be an alarming rise in in anti-Semitism right around the world at this point in time. Uh, Is it it a big concern, Israel, when Israel looks out? Is it seeing these these constant battles? I mean, and some very high-profile ones, including today we saw... Adidas and Gap uh, end ties with Kanye West. Uh, I, I know these things may seem a bit frivolous at times, but they they feel important. Yeah, of course it's a concern. I lived uh, in Britain when I was uh, the Israeli ambassador there from 16 to 2020. And there I remember the British Jewish community went through a very difficult time with this outburst of anti-Semitism there. And then we had those shootings at, at synagogues in the, and Jewish community centers in the United States. I think, in, luckily, in Canada, you, you haven't had that uh, level of violence. But I think the truth about anti-Semitism is that it's had this ability to, to reinvent itself and be relevant, uh, unfortunately, to different generations and in different places. I mean, my father was a Holocaust survivor, and there was a belief following those terrible years that, you know, the world had finally understood that, you know, this oldest of hatreds was had to be erased, that it was intolerable. And we, we've seen, unfortunately, a resurgence of anti-Semitism. You see it on the extreme right, of course, uh, you know, neo-Nazis, Ku Klux Klan types, uh, violent vigilantes who, who are very dangerous. You see it on the radical Islamist fringes, I'm not, not, heaven forbid, I wouldn't say all Muslims, but you see it in the radical Islamic groups. If you look at uh, groups like Hamas and you read their charter, uh, anti-Semitism is written there in black on, on white. And you also see it in the far left where Jews are described and Israel is described as imperialists and capitalists and sucking the blood of common people, this sort of thing. It's out there. And 
we have to fight it. But I'm happy to tell you that Israel and Jews aren't alone in, in standing up for anti-Semitism. You can see governments and people across the planet say this is wrong and has to be, has to be opposed. And Canada has always been very strong in, in, in condemning anti-Semitism as it condemns all races. To come back to Canada, um, back to 1947 and Lester Pearson, there was always this idea of a two-state solution. We've now been talking about it for 75 years. Are you confident that we will ever see that we'll ever see anything like peace. I know there's been we're, we're coming up on the anniversary of the Abraham Accords, which normalized relations between Israel and several Arab countries, including Morocco and Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, and so forth. There's been a new deal with Lebanon about maritime borders. It feels like there's progress, uh, but on other issues, it feels like there's there's paralysis. Do you do you see that changing at all? I think you're 100 percent correct. What you see on on one hand is you've seen a Middle East which is more open to Israel than ever before. And you rightly said, we've had the breakthroughs just in recent years with the Abraham Accords and, and normalization and peace with countries in the Gulf and in North Africa. And I think that process is, is incredibly positive and it will continue. At the same time, you've got very hostile people who, who are sworn enemies of Israel and sworn enemies of peace, group like the Iranian government, like extremist groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in Gaza, very opposed to peace and reconciliation. Uh, if you talk about the Palestinian issue in the negotiations, they've been stuck. And uh, we haven't seen a breakthrough there. We can never, though, then give up on the hope of peace. I mean, we never should stop trying to find a way of living together. I'm hopeful that as we see Israel more integrated into the region, uh, more integrated uh, uh, into the Middle East with friends and allies in the region. And, and for Israelis, this is a huge breakthrough because in the past, when we looked for friends, we looked to Europe and North America. Now we've got friends and partners in the region and it's a revolutionary change and it, it's for Israelis, it's very important. But as Israel becomes increasingly accepted in the Arab world as a, as a legitimate neighbor, and as I said, even as a partner and an ally, I'm hopeful that affects the Palestinians too because they're ultimately the world. They are proud of of their Arab identity. And as Israel is increasingly accepted in the Arab world, I think that has to also affect Palestinian opinion. Mark Regev, uh, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your stay in Canada. Thank you very much. I am.